Good morning, everyone. Let's stand together. One, two, ready. Brothers, sisters, come on down to that river. Guaranteed you'll never be the same. There's a fountain flowing from the heart of the Savior. Bring your sins and all your guilty stains. Let that river of life wash it all away.
to be shepherds, to be the light of Jesus. Uh, and speaking of light, I have a five-year-old, and we had big feelings and big tears the other night because she felt like her room was too dark when she was getting ready to go to bed. I see lots of smiles from fellow young parents. And so what do we do, right? What do we do for our kids when the room is too dark? We figure out a way to turn a little bit of light on. You plug a night light in, you crack the door, you open the blinds a little bit so the outside light shines in. You do something to let the light in. Well, it's the same for us as grown-ups. Sometimes things seem a little dark. The room, your day, your circumstances seem a little dark. Maybe it's stress. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's being overwhelmed. And so what do we do? We let a little bit of light in. And friends, we have one true source of life, one true source of truth, one true source of hope, and his name is Jesus. And that's the person that we're here to worship this morning. And so if you've got something going on, I invite you to let a, bit of light, let a little bit of light in, to let Jesus in, to let him be the one to calm your fears, <laughs> to ease the hard times. And we as a family, as a church family, we've got some people that we're going to pray for here in a second who are walking in the darkness. And so we as a church want to come alongside them and pray for Jesus, the light, to shine into their lives. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much that you don't leave us in the dark, uh, that you promise us that you are the light of the world, that you shine in the darkness. And so for these people, Jesus, who we love and who we bring before you this morning, God, um, we ask that you would just wrap your arms around them. For Nicole McLaughlin and the loss of her mother this week, Jesus, would you shine the light in Nicole's life? Would you walk alongside her and her siblings as they grieve the loss of her mom? Jesus, I also pray uh, for our dear fr friend Jamie Atkinson as he continues to journey with cancer. For Julie, for Dean, for Lily, for Mason, for their entire family. Jesus, would you be the light for them? Would you be their source of strength? Would you be their hope? Would you be their truth? Jesus, for our friend Ben Powell, who's in the room visiting, uh, father of Sarah McDonald, as he battles pancreatic cancer and as he starts his next round of chemo, would you be his light in the darkness, Jesus? Would you be the one to usher him through this, to be his source of strength? And God, we also pray for our friend Jackie Faircloth as she continues. Um, would you be um, her source of light? Would you bring her new mercy? Uh, would you be the one, Jesus, that she relies on? Thank you that you're such a good father, God, that you don't leave us where we are, but that you usher us through. Thank you, Lord, that you love us, and thank you that we as a church family can come along each, each, come along each other uh, and be one another's comfort and connectivity. In Jesus' name, amen. 
If you are new, we're so glad that you're here. This is a place where we would love for you to call home. Um, and the best way for that to start is just by meeting you. And so uh, you can do that by filling out a Connect card there on the back, um, kind of by the water bottles. You can grab a paper one and fill it out and put it in the generosity box. You can scan the QR code and fill it out online. But we would just love to meet you and get to know you and know who you are. Thanks. Thank you, McLean. Good morning. Our women's event on Thursday evening, October 6th, is called REAL, as you can see. And REAL stands for relationships, encouragement, authenticity, and laughter. Well, I need desperately all of those things. And I'm guessing that you do too. Rebecca Lyons, our speaker, is an old soul with a contemporary voice. Along with her husband, they are raising four kids, two of whom have Down syndrome. So they and she has been featured on Fox, CNN, Good Morning America, The Today Show, The Hallmark Channel, Parade, and so many more. And Gail Gallardo, who is a part of this church, offered last Sunday when she was here to have her come and speak on her show the morning before she speaks that night. She said, Kathy, I have 37 million viewers. I'm like, oh, goodness, okay. So that's going to that's gonna get the job done. I mean, we only have room for 200 women, but we will, let's bring them on. But why? Why is she being asked to speak in all of these platforms in our country, in our world? Because she has this amazing way to bring a fresh voice about who Jesus is into the places where we're hurting, into the places where we're struggling, into the places where we feel without purpose. So I want all of you as women to come. It's for women of all ages, and we want to make it as accessible as possible for each and every one of you. If you're new to the church, we'll have you sit with me and others that you are, you're familiar with so that you can feel comfortable. If you've been here forever, we'll make sure that you're seated with friends. I don't want you to worry one bit about who am I going to sit with, what am I going to do. Oh, we will make you feel right at home, I promise. So please come. And you can register. Dina provided a QR code that you can scan like this second. And go ahead and register. Do it. Fitz won't care if you're doing it during his sermon, I promise you. So just go right on. Sorry, babe. <laughs> Every time you watch Jesus providing for someone, you can't help but notice that it's always done with so much kindness, so much warmth, and generosity. The hospitality of Jesus is just exquisite. And our First Prez Meals Ministry Team, each member brings Jesus' warmth, kindness, and generosity in the form of a meal to a family that is celebrating the birth of a child, to families that are going through the recovery of illnesses and surgeries, people that are struggling with grief, and more. So the Apostle Paul spoke to the people in Rome, the church there, and he speaks to us as a church this morning when he said this from Romans. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Well, friends, God's people are in need in our church and in our community. Will you join us and help those in need by being a part of the meals ministry team and practicing the hospitality of Jesus? I want you to know that the need is greater than our ability to meet it. So, I'm calling on all people who hate to cook. You're perfect. I'm calling on all people who have zero time. You're perfect. And I'm calling on all good cooks in the room. You're perfect too. Because if you're willing to order Uber Eats, have a pizza delivered, or cook a fine home-cooked yummy meal, 
you're perfect. You have the opportunity to bring that to a family who can't wait to be loved on by you. And so I love it that there are six ways right here that we hope you feel are accessible to you to give to the needs of the church and the community as we serve the community as a church. It also includes Venmo now, and we even have a generosity box in the back of the room. But in addition to that, would you cooks and non-cooks and busy people be willing to join our little meals ministry team and bring the love and hospitality of Jesus personally, a life on a life, to an individual or a family? Would you? If so, will you let me know? Psalm 86.5 says, Oh Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Please stand.
those of you online, you not, may not be able to tell, but some of us are dressed properly in seersucker this morning. There's several folks in the room, a spontaneous thing. If you had any proper home training, you'd know that you can wear it today, and I guess tomorrow and then after that, you got to shut it up until Memorial Day, so I don't want to see any more on you later on. White shoes out, seersucker out, but man, am I looking good. I just have to say that about myself. So I'm playing, but we have, we have some family business, and I'm sort of doing this now because it sort of happened spontaneously. McLean already play, prayed for Ben Powell. He's here. They live in the panhandle. Am I right, Ben? And we were going to pray for you, except you're wearing an LSU shirt. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I can't even believe that. But, but I, in, in, a, in a, a measure of largesse, we're going to pray for you if I could right now. Ben is... His dealing, as McLean said, with pancreatic cancer, and he's, he's Sarah's dad, and she's sitting there with her husband on one side and her mom and dad on the other, and so Ben is here visiting, and if I could, I'm just going to pray for you right now, Ben. Can I do that? Gracious God, we are a family, extended family, and we pray for Ben, and we pray for this, this family right now as he does what brave people do when faced with this kind of tough news. They just get in there and they trust you and they go hard at you and they go hard at life. And we pray that be the case for Ben. And we will, we will keep remembering Ben and we pray that you would give him a sense of courage, a sense of, a sense of security, and give him the certainty, the clarity that you are the resurrected Lord and that you rule over the universe and you will take good care of him. We thank you, gracious God, that we can be brothers and sisters because we are a family. And that's what you're building. In Jesus' name, amen. So I had intended on playing around with seersucker, and uh, so we did. And maybe we'll make a thing out of this, huh? Now, I don't want to say names, but there's several men in the room, and you just need to, when we leave, you just need to make sure. If any of you online went ahead and put seersucker on, that, yeah, <laughs> way to go. Because I sent a note out, and I was serious. And next time, I'm going to have white bucks and some other things to go along with it. We are finishing Made for Mondays, and we've been having a great time. And I think it's resonated with me, it's resonated with you, and we're going to do a little bit more of that in just a few minutes. But I thought we'd pause and just talk about what's happening beginning next Sunday, because we have four great weeks we want you to be aware of. And if you see what's happening beginning next Sunday, we're calling it I'm All In on Mission. And here's what's going to happen. We hear all the time from this stage about the organizations and missionary, mission agency that we're involved in in Tampa. So we're going to talk about our own mission, which is called Matthew 25. We're going to talk about created. Sunday for Matthew 25, a Sunday for created. We're going to have a person come and be with us in the room who is a survivor of the trade. And she is now a part of the staff of Created. And she's going to be here with us talking about the ministry of Created, helping women to get out of the sex trafficking industry. We're going to have someone here to talk with us about teenagers, particularly in young life and in teenagers who are in the at-risk parts of our community and all over the world. So we're going to have Russell Johnson be with us. And then we have this new burgeoning relationship with an explicitly Christian foster care agency called Door of Hope. And the director of that's going to be with us. That's coming in the next four weeks. It's going to be awesome. And Kathy and I will be sort of giving sermons and sort of leading interviews and just having a great time. And you're going to get a chance to see the people who are doing some of the stuff we talk all the time. It's going to be awesome. We're really excited about it. So back to this final Sunday. It's Labor Day weekend. You, you know that Labor Day was started in the late 19th century. It was, a, it was built to honor People back when we had an industrial economy and people worked with their hands and there were unions. And so that's what, it, we don't do that anymore. We're just glad to get a four-day weekend. But all of us are glad we have a job, aren't we? But we've become an information-driven economy. So we're no longer, we can still honor work in the sense of God gives us work. And that's my theological summary of how we're going to be Americans who have Labor Day. They also do it in, in Canada. But here we are. They do, can, the Canadians have Labor Day tomorrow also. So on we go to our made-for-Monday idea, and we've kicked it around several different ways. One of the words that I really like that we've used is the word flourish. And what we've meant by that is this. We've meant that our lives at work, no matter what your work is, some of us are at home, we're in school, we're in all over the marketplace, in the professions, hospitals, schools, everything, and flourish is a powerful 
idea, except here's, here's what we're trying to say about you and me. We've been called to create flourishing for the people we work with. Our jobs are not about making a living. Our jobs are about making a life worth living for the people where we work. That's what we're here to do. And several of you, I got last, last Monday morning at 9 o'clock, I got a text message from somebody who found a way already before 9 o'clock on Monday morning to do something about what she had heard them that, that previous Sunday. So people, you're resonating with it. You know, it's, you know we're on to something here. That God didn't make us and just say, okay, do whatever you want all week and come to church for an hour or go to a life group for an hour or serve on the ministry team for meal for an hour. Those are all great things, but it's way more integrated than that. One way of pulling all of this together is to take two words, secular and sacred. Now, if you've ever heard those words before, you know that people have bifurcated reality, experience, life, work, everything. They've said, this is secular and this is sacred. Well, what we're doing is blowing that up. Forget that's a bad paradigm. It's not a biblical paradigm. There is no division between secular and sacred in biblical reality. And I'm, we're wrestling with these faith realities. One of the ways you can begin to see that you were made for Monday is to realize there's no such thing as secular as if only sacred is where my faith life happens. It's all the time, every day, 24-7, 168 hours in a week. That's what we've been trying to say. McLean said this a little earlier about shining. Here's another way of thinking about it. God puts you where you are. And by the way, Jesus is really excited, really excited about where you are in your job. Jazzed. He's jazzed because he wants you to help people flourish. And when we do that, we make him famous. And Jesus is not shy to have himself be the center of our work, our, our, our focus, our worship. Never did Jesus push people away when they tried to worship him. He received it. It's the right thing for us to do. And we can make Jesus famous by the way we treat people if our view is to see the people in our workplace as God's place for us to work and serve. Of course, we're going to keep making widgets. But we make widgets with people. And the people are not a means to an end. They're the end. Flourish. All unblended, it's not, it's seamless, sacred and secular. There is no such thing as a difference between the two of them. And he's excited about where he's put you. And this is really, friends, about who we are. It's not so much about what we do. And I have a slide that sort of says this. All followers of Jesus. I, I, I am a follower of Jesus before I'm anything else. Another way of saying it, wherever you are on Monday, Jesus is calling you to follow him full time. So let me say what I mean about follower of Jesus before anything else. I'm a father. It's not what I do. It's who I am. I'm a husband. It's not what I do. It's who I am. I'm a grandfather. One of them is here today. He's wearing an old shirt, by the way, Ben. Just want you to know that. <laughs> I'm a Noel. It's who I am. <laughs> Maybe we'll have a football team. <laughs> it's so much fun to be relevant and so miserable not to be. I'm a disciple of Jesus. It's not what I do. It's not what you do. It's who you are. It's the reason why there's no bifurcation between, quote, secular and sacred, where we live, where we work, where we play, where we study. We are Jesus' people, and therefore we treat people differently. And that's how God wants it. And Jesus is really excited about where he's put us. He's jazzed about where he's put us. It's just that simple. And he's excited for you to go to work Tuesday and to be a shining light of his presence. Another word that gets at that is the word blessing. In the Bible, when the Bible talks about people receiving a blessing, it means two things. It means God's presence. So when God says, I'm going to bless you, he means I'm going to be present with you. And then another really good thing, it means I'm going to impact, influence 
every area of your life. Now, we, we use the word blessing, even people that don't really talk about it from a faith perspective. It usually means, well, I got something. It's okay to get things. And when you feel like God has given you something, his presence, and he's impacted areas of your life, and it turns out to be a thing, like a material thing, and you say, well, I just feel so blessed. Well, that's fine. But the, the Bible means that came from God. And when you start to lean into that, you just get real excited, and you end up getting generous. You just, it just, that's what happens when we think that God has been present in our life and then has impacted and influenced all aspects of our life and somehow we get something, something even material, a promotion. We then become even more generous with it because we're grateful. That's, what, that's another way of thinking about how we go about our made-for-Monday reality. It's not what we do, it's who we are. The implication is integrity. The implication is fairness. The, the apostle Peter, who ran for cover from Jesus, was restored by Jesus and made for Monday. Look what he had to say about it, this idea of integrity. Live such good lives among non-believers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits it. Be so full of integrity. Be so full of the good work that people who aren't Jesus followers will at least see you and see that you have the integrity to do your job and do it well. And let's stop and pause about doing our job well. When we go, if you are a person that goes to a workplace and works, or if you're a person that's a student, or if you're in the home, Here's what I think Peter wants you to understand. Do it the best you can. Do your job and do it well, whatever it is. If you're a pastor, if you're a plumber, if you're a teacher, if you sell real estate, if you're in the medical arts, whatever it is you do, if you're in insurance business, do it and do it really well. 100% all in. Remembering that people aren't the people don't get used for the business objective, people are the end, and you'll still accomplish the business objective. Do it really well. What happens is you earn people's respect, you earn the right to be their friend, you earn the right to have a, a reasonable conversation, a meaningful conversation, and you'll you'll start talking about things other than business. You'll start talking about family, and then you can be better friends. And God will use those relational bridges to help onboard people who aren't Jesus followers, as Peter just said, non-believers. He'll use that bridge to help onboard people into conversations where spiritual conversations take place. And if a person happens to be a believer, you'll be encouraging each other. And here's a, here's a really important detail about doing your job and doing it really well. Don't cut corners. I hear it all the time. The group that I meet with on Thursday mornings, it's men. All the time, we talk about doing our jobs, doing it well, and what happens when we cut corners. When you cut a corner, what happens is you have a micro-optimization. But it will come into plain sight. It'll catch up with you, and you'll get a macro disaster. We just can't cut corners because Jesus' people do their job. They do it well. They treat people with warmth and care. All because you're looking past the boss to the boss. That's the way we have to go about our work. It's about integrity. And Jesus is so excited to have his people do their jobs and do them well out in the marketplace, out in the real world, out in the educational institutions, in all healthcare, in art, all over. That's what Jesus wants for us. We're going to give 40, 45, 50 hours of our lives a week out there doing stuff. And that's a chance. That's where the action is. That's the way we can do what we do and do it the best we can. And people will notice if we do it well, and they'll notice if we cut corners. You've had corners cut on you. 
Think about it. You have. I hear it all the time. You've had corners cut on you, and it's no fun. They got the sale. You didn't, but they cut a corner, and you're looking at a check. You're looking at a bottom line, and you're deciding, am I going to do this the right way all the way through when I know, and then you, you can supply your own adjective, that bad person over there is going to cut the corner, and you've, been cut, you've had the corner cut on you more than once by the same person. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm so excited to have you where you are right now today. Don't cut corners. Do it the best you can do. Friends, that's just so practical. We can go flying into money, Monday, and do it, and do it well, and do it right, and do it with integrity, and do it with fairness. So Christians aren't soft. Don't think this means being soft. We're going to compete like crazy. We're going to do it in a way that honors God. Do not think you're backing it off. You ain't backing it off. Go hard. Beat them. <laughs> but that's what the market is, right? If I can do it and do it well and do it with integrity, and if I do it better than you, I win the sale. Now, I'm not, I, that's just the way the world works. And it's not bad, it's good. But you're doing it to honor God and you're doing it fairly and you're doing it the right way. And oftentimes, to not cut a corner is going to cost you money. But when you honor God, everybody around you knows it. And you will get a chance to say those words in some, your own way. You'll get a chance to say, this is why I did it this way. And yeah, I lost a sale, but I didn't lose myself. Because remember, being a disciple, being a worker is not about what you do. It's about who you are. It's about what we are inside. And you could change locations, but you're still a disciple. You're still going to care about the people you work with, and they're going to be as much as the, of the product as the product itself. Some people think that God is punish, punishing us by work. Wrong. Work is good. God is pro-work. God is at work. So when there was nothing, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You with me? Oh, we're, just, we're just building the case that this thing about having work is a good thing. Listen, look carefully at these words. This is powerful Hebrew. Ah. Oh, and now it's English there. In the beginning, and the word Genesis means in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's just leave that up there. It's the very first words in the Hebrew Bible. And this is our English translation of it. In the beginning, God went to work. God is pro-work. Work is good. So that's how the Bible starts. And what we're saying is that if God is working, and remember the word flourish. Oh, you just read those first two chapters, this existence in the garden. It was fantastic. There was no sacred and secular. There was no bifurcation. It was all one existence where the human beings lived in this place. And God was present with them. Remember the word blessing I said? God is present. And they're relating to God without any barriers or brokenness. And they're relating to each other without any barriers and barriers or brokenness. And the physical universe is flourishing. But look what God does in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. God says, he takes the man, puts him in the garden. And look what he does with it. He tells the man to work it and to care for it. Now, what that means is that we are, hold on, this is really good. You're God's business partner. You are. We are. Now, you may think it's the clergy. Oh, no, it's not the clergy. I mean, we are. But we're only about one half of one half of one half of one percent. The action is out there. So the garden is huge, and it takes all of us. So just if you read Genesis chapter 2 carefully, you realize it doesn't say anything about educational institutions in there. We built them as God's partners. It says not the first thing about unbelievably beautiful music that we sing or paintings that get painted. We flourish with God when, we, when the art ability comes out of us. It says not the first thing about building a highway. But what happens? In partnership with God, we work in the garden and take care of it. 
So in this agricultural environment, those words meant we're going to plow fields and grow food and people are going to flourish and have enough to eat. But look at, the, look at the way we do life in our culture today. All of these institutions, all of these great things, we are God's partners in business to make schools where kids learn and to make hospitals where people can have babies and get well and to make insurance companies that can make sure that if there's a loss, we had it covered because we share in the cost, and on and on we can go. Build buildings if you're a contractor. All of that, we, we with God are partners making our world into a place where people can flourish. And if the flourishing of the people isn't our goal and our job, tap the brakes, come on back, and re redo yourself. Because Jesus is jazzed to have you at work for him, but he wants you to be a person who's there to help be in partnership with God to, so that God's creation can flourish. We're in the garden, and we're working with God as his partners, and we're going to all help to make it flourish. So I, I said something about clergy. Most Christians flood the marketplace to make a difference. Clergy, you know what we're supposed to do? Help you. Here, look what I have on the, on the screen. Some Christians equip. What I mean by that is some Christians' main work is to help other Christians be equipped to go be themselves out wherever they live. Some of us do that, not many of us. And I said it differently a few minutes ago. The action is out there. I live in a bubble, just a true bubble. You could say, Fitch, you don't know anything you're talking about, about the real world. And you might be right. Except I do know people cut corners, and I do know that you get hurt by it, and I do know you're tempted by it. But I, and I don't live in the real world. I'm in a bubble. I meet with people all day long, every day, who are Christians trying to do the same thing. I just grow this family so that people can flourish in God's world. But out in the real world, where it's rough, my job is to help you be a person who can see your job as a place to make it flourishing for others, to do it well, to be honoring God when you compete, etc. That's my job. Notice how the great apostle Paul says this. This is from his letter to the Christians in Rome. And what Paul says to the Christians in Rome is, is this. Christ, here we go. So Christ himself, this is the gifting of the family of faith. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, I guess I'm a teacher too, the teachers, to equip his, to equip his people God makes the church and gives gifts of people in the church to equip the people so they can do what? So the, they can do works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. In other words, in biblical thinking, some of us have the main job of helping the whole family get really good at being made for Monday. You with me? Does that make sense? We flood the marketplace when we leave here and go out there and help people flourish and do our work so as to honor God. One last text from my good buddy Eugene Peterson, who is deceased. He, he translated the entire Bible, all 66 books, by himself. The first 39 are in Hebrew, the old, what you call the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. 27 books in the New Testament in Greek. He did it by himself. And here's his translation of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, just a few verses before we just read. This is Gene's way of saying it. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life. Isn't that pretty good? It says nothing like that in Greek. You know, he's just made it really full, but I'm, I'm going to read it again. Take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life. And look what he wants us to do with it. And now Gene is dead on what Paul said. Dead on it. Place it before God as an offering. Ooh. You were made for it. And now you know what we're going to do? We're going to get ready for it. That's what's happening right here. He doesn't leave us hanging. This represents the death of death itself. Death is done. 
new life has begun. So Jesus was arrested on a Thursday night, and there at a meal right before it, we call it the Last Supper, he took a piece of bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. He had predicted three times that he was going to be crucified. They didn't get it. He takes this and he says, my body broken for you. Paying for everything, but at the center of it is the death of death itself. And then he took a cup after the meal and he said, this cup is my blood spilled for you so that you can have new life. The body of Jesus, death is done. The blood of Jesus, new life begins. Friends, this is how you get through Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. We don't do it on our own power and strength. Jesus Christ takes up residence in us, makes us over again in the new people, and then we can live for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday in the home, in the school, in the marketplace, wherever he put us. And he's so excited to have you encounter him. Remember what you are, blessed people. The presence of Jesus, blessed people, and also the influence of every aspect of your life. Come and feed and drink and be new people, and you are ready for Monday. I'll invite Monica and Kathy and Baxter to come join me. And we're starting at the back, and some students, some youngsters are going to come first. And then... They're all going to go over there, it looks like. Students, some of you can come here. Uh, Coop, why don't you come this way and you guys follow him.
before I pray, Barry Spofford had his knee redone last week, but on, in spite of that, he's in the back in a seer sucker seat. It was really good. <laughs> My good friends, allow me to pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you that you made us. You're delighted to see us do what we do. You made us to do it. You built us so that we can be your partners in business in the world, creating flourishing places for people to know you, to love you. And we're going to make all kinds of good things that make life good. Thank you that we can do this together. Thank you, gracious God, that we are ready for Monday and we were made for Monday. Amen.